Uh, it's good to see you all as our children head off to Sunday school and to, uh, and to childcare as well. Uh, it's great to have you this morning with us. If you're here for the first time, uh, I want to welcome you uh, this morning. This is a time when we, we spend a bit of time worshipping God and, and singing our, our praise and our love and our thanks to Him for what He's done for us. And now we spend some time just in God's Word, just to understand God's Word and making it uh, most like real for us in our lives because that's what God's Word is about. It's, it's taking God's Word and becoming very real for us as, as we live our lives. Otherwise, it's this distant book that means nothing, uh, just kind of words on a page that you intellectualize, but rather to make it transform us and, and take us from what we were to what we are becoming. And so this is the, this is the Word of God. And, and we sang a song this morning that says, Lord, I give you my heart and I give you my soul. That's a really, it's a beautiful phrase. It's a, it's a really lovely prayer. I give you my heart and I give you my soul. And thank God what we do, because this complete and utter devotion is given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God it's not given to some human leader. You know, you're not giving your heart and soul to a human leader of some kind or a man or a woman of some kind. You're not doing that. You're giving it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God you're not giving it to some philosophy. You know, you're not saying, you know, I, I found the best philosophy of life and therefore I'm going to give my, my heart and my soul to this philosophy. You know, you're not doing that. Uh, you're giving it to the, Lord, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God you're not giving it to some dream or pursuits. Imagine if you were to say to yourself, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give my whole life to this dream and this pursuit. You know, that's, that's not what's life-changing. What's life-changing is coming into a relationship, uh, an intimate personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what's life-changing. And I think once we understand and we realize just how significant and how transforming this relationship is, then we come to realize the power of God. And, and so I pray this morning that your, your hearts are really open and sensitive to what God is saying, and they're not closed off right from now. They're not closed off, and you're thinking to yourself, I'll, just, I'll get through these 40 minutes, you know, I'll just, or whatever it is, 30 minutes. I'll get through this time, and, and as soon as this time is finished, I'll just I'll, I'll, you know, head out the door. You know? um, I hope that's not how you're feeling this morning. I hope your heart is open. If you're listening online or if you're here, I hope your heart is open to listening to what God has to say. Let's pray this morning. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word. And uh, I'd like to share with you some thoughts. This morning is going to be a little bit like a, a, bit of like, a, little bit like a, a study, a study of some kind. So uh, unlike other weeks where I might look at just one particular passage, I want to do a little bit of a study this morning. So if you're here for the first time, you'll, you'll get to hear a few verses, but don't feel the pressure of trying to get to every Bible verse each time. Um, it, just Just listen. Take the opportunity to listen and, and to receive what the Lord is specifically wanting to tell you uh, this morning with this, this, this little study. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for this church, Lord. All honor and glory goes to you. Lord, you started this fellowship just like you started your church many, many years ago. And Lord Jesus Christ, when we look to what you did on that cross... And the blood that you shed for us. And the way you gave your life for us so freely. And then you resurrected to begin on this earth your kingdom. The most beautiful kingdom to be part of. We thank you. And we pray this morning that we remember and we take to heart and we receive what you have to tell us that we may go forth and be more of the people you want us to be. 
Keep us genuine, Lord. Keep us authentic. Keep us real as we come before you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, over the years, if, you've, um, if you can imagine, over the years, many, many churches have adopted this thing that's behind me, this, this, this image or this wooden image of the cross. And many churches over the years have, have taken this on board. And depending on which church you've been to in your life, you would see that churches have used different forms and different shapes of this thing that we call the cross. And uh, people have different opinions about it. And over the years, it's, um, it's changed in its ideas, the actual physical um, uh, invention of this this cross it's changed it's changed over the years and there's been a lot of there's in the early stages I think to my understanding to the early stages it was used by some of the unbelieving communities to mock Christians they used to do uh, pictures or depictions of the cross with with certain you know maybe an animal head on it of some kind just to kind of almost mock the Christian faith you know and so and so early on it was kind of considered to be a an opportunity to ridicule Christians but as time went on and uh, the, this, the cross or the idea of this invention of the cross became more popular amongst Christians and um, but but at the same time the Christians themselves and obviously it's evolved over years and and there were different phases of Christian history that certain churches adopted it other Christians didn't other churches didn't adopt it but there was a time in history when when Christians would refer to the cross in a particular way, and they would use words like this, they would refer to the actual the cross itself or the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ as the wood of life, W O D, the wood of life. Yeah. Or it also would be referred to as the victorious cross. The victorious cross. They're beautiful phrases, aren't they? The wood of life. Interesting, isn't it? As they would look at it and they would consider it. And, um, or the victorious cross. And I want to talk about this a little bit this morning. I want to refer to this idea of what this cross is about. Now, not, of course, not the outward appearance and the invention of a wooden cross. That's not what I want to talk about this morning. Um, but I certainly want to talk about its meaning and its significance. Because at the end of the day, it's the very thing that has transformed many, many lives over the, t- the time of, the, of, of Christianity. Because what it's done, it's transformed people as God has intended for them to be changed. And what the cross does, what the, the idea of the cross, what it does, it actually works from the inward out. It starts to work on the inward and what's going on in the inside of people's lives and it brings out different sorts of things. This is how the powerful nature of the cross. It doesn't just chip away on the outward and, and make people nice on the outward. Otherwise, that would be some kind of hypocritical religion. What it does, it works on the inside. So though you might think to yourself, oh, yeah, I'm a really good Christian because I don't swear anymore, in your heart you might be cursing. But that's not what Christ came to do. The cross itself came to change from the inward and out. And though you may not necessarily go around stealing things or ripping people off or the systems off in some ways, in your heart there might be still greed. And that's not what the cross came to do. The cross came to deal with the inside and out. It came to deal with the very greed in our hearts and the lust in our hearts in order for on the outward you would see changes that are Christ-like. You might not be, uh, um, you know... uh, lying for example anymore but inside there might be this heart of deceit and any opportunity to get out of something and not be honest about something you'll you'll take that opportunity because in your heart there's deceit and so God what God is most interested in is not this outward form of religion he's not interested in some outward form of godliness in fact the Bible says that they have a form of godliness they have a form that looks oh that looks really Christian that looks really nice it's it's kind of this is what a Christian is but in the inward the Bible says they deny the power 
You get that? They deny the power. So thank God he's revealed to us something really significant, that we are not called to clean up the outside of the cup. We're called to clean and work on the inside. That's what we call transformation. That's where the Bible or the scripture or the cross is genuinely restorative. It restores the soul. And this is why we get so there is great hope in the Christian life because it's dealing with the inside and it's restoring the very things that bring us pain from within or captivity from within or addiction and bondage from within. And what's great about that is you can stop being fake. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that lovely? You can be authentic. What's beautiful is you can, you're liberated. You're no longer trying to pretend to be something you know you can't be. It, it, God is working from within. And so I want to do this morning a little study on the cross, and I want to talk about it in three ways. These are the three things I'm going to talk about this morning. I'm going to talk about it in, in this sense. Christ, number one, Christ endured it, the cross. Christ endured it. Number two, Christians carry it. Christians carry it. And number three, the church remembers it. You got that? Christ endured it. Number two, Christians carry it. Number three, the church remembers it. Because these things about the cross are very significant for us. And I want us to sort of unpack. Now, I'm not going to be going to all the scriptures I'm going to be talking to, but uh, I'll make reference to where they are. But uh, we will go to one passage before the end of this morning. We'll go to one passage and we'll have a look at uh, some specific things about this passage. But let me talk about, firstly, the first one. Christ endured it. I want to read from Hebrews for, uh, for you. Uh, you don't need to turn to this, but I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 12. It says this. The author of Hebrews tells us, it gives us an instruction, and it tells us to do something. It says, looking unto Jesus, where our eyes meant to be, unto Jesus, unto Jesus, looking to Jesus. Yeah? He says, looking unto Jesus, who is the author, yeah, he began it, and the finisher of our faith. He starts and he completes it. Lord, how am I going to get to the end? Well, I'm the author and the finisher. Lord, how am I going to sustain this? I'm the author and the finisher. He says, looking unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Do you get that? He despised the shame and has now been set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So now he sits in glory. But before he got into glory, what he did was this. He had to endure the cross. He had to go through the afflictions and the sufferings of the cross because for the joy set before him. That's a really almost an unusual phrase. almost sounds contradictory that the Bible would say that for a joy, with a joyful heart, he went through suffering. For a joy, with a joyful heart, he had to endure such suffering. Because when you think of the cross and the way that the crucifixion worked in those days, it was probably the most barbaric and torturous way of killing someone. I don't know if they could have thought of anything worse. And so what the Bible says is that he did it because of joy. What would, what would even, what, where would the joy be? Well, see, the joy wasn't in the suffering as such. The joy is what the suffering was going to bring. And the, what the suffering was going to bring when he endured this cross by dying on the cross and shedding his blood was a relationship with you. That's what I believe. That in his heart and his mind, he thought, I'm going to have a people. I'm going to, I'm going to have a people that love me and adore me, and I'm going to love them and adore them. We're going to have a relationship. 
and we're going we're gonna to be, uh, they're going to be my people, I'm going to be their God, and we're going to be in heaven forever. This is the joy that was in the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for this joy, the Bible says he endured it. So think about it for a moment. When he sees you in love with him, he brings him joy. When you follow him, it brings him joy. When you make a decision for him, it brings him joy. Because the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was, saying, he was prepared to say to himself, I don't, I don't care what it costs me. If it means I can win my church, if it means I can build my church and I can bring the people out of their sin into life with me and save them from the inside out and set them free and make them authentic and true and, and liberate them from the things of this world, he says, this brings me joy. I'll go through anything for them. And he did. He went to the cross. He, he endured it for the sake of you, for the sake of me. Now, who can look at this gift and think to themselves, I don't want this gift? Who can look at this gift? Because for you to say, I don't want this gift, what you, what you should be able to say to yourself is, I have a better gift. If you, and if you can say, I have a better gift, then I don't, you're free. Go, have a better gift. But when you look at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he endured in order to set you free... Then the Bible says that's the joy. That's the joy that he brought, he, he, why he endured, and that's the joy that comes into your heart by knowing him. Now, I know for some people, this is going to sound really strange. And for some of you, perhaps even before, maybe even now, there is a wrestle with this idea that the Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross and enduring it sets you free from sin. I know for some of you, this is going to be a, a strange concept, maybe, even maybe hard to believe. Maybe even some of you are thinking in your minds, that is silly, what he's saying. And the early church experienced the same thing. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 1. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are uh, perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You get that? (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's a beautiful, it's, it's the reality, it's today. When you, when you share the cross with someone and how the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is able to come and forgive them of all their guilt and all their shame and set them free, they don't have to go back to their filth. And you say that to them, some of you look at, look at you and think, you've lost the plot. And so the Bible says that, that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. There are going to be people who are going to look at that and think, no, nah, forget it, I don't want this, you know. And that's sad. But you know what's sadder? Listen, you know what's sadder? The one in their heart that listens to this and thinks, yeah, that's true, but I don't want it now. I think that's sadder. Because something's stopping them. Fear, pride, friendships, I don't know what it is. Want the, the, the love for things that this world's do, whatever it might be. He goes, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And isn't, isn't this your experience? Isn't the experience that, every, that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is changing you from glory to glory, from more and more into Christ-likeness, because this is the beauty of the cross that is working on the inside. No one can always see that, but you know what's going on. And if it's not, then there's a problem. And so we are thankful to the Lord, as the Bible says, that the one that was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. That's why, brothers and sisters, that's why Christians love the great verse in John 3.16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That means he went to the cross. That he gave. God loved the world so much. He thought, okay, what's the best gift I can give this world? I'll give my son. That whoever believes in him doesn't perish but have everlasting life. That to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who endured this cross, they are promised everlasting life. Many of you will be familiar with the book Pilgrim's Progress. And the book Pilgrim's Progress is a story about a man called Christian. And it's giving a a kind of an analogy of different things. It's a man called Christian. And what he does is he comes to a point of his life where he realizes that his life isn't in a good place. And he carries this heavy burden on his back. Do you feel like that? He carries this heavy burden on his back. And he's told to, to get out of the city that he's in because the city itself is going to be destroyed one day. And, he, and he's, he's got this um, wrestle in his heart because he's got this burden that he's tired of and he's got this knowledge that it's going to, everything's going to be destroyed. So he flees his city. No one wants to go with him. His family make fun of him. His wife makes fun of him. His children don't want to go with him. But he has to get out because he knows things are going to be destroyed and he, he's heavy with this burden on his back. And so as he goes on his journey trying to find a way to get rid of this burden, the man called Evangelist says to him, I'll tell you how you're going to do this. You need to go in that direction to the place called Wicket's Gate and you're going to get there and there's going to be an answer for you. So he makes his journey. And the story goes that he meets a man along the way who is uh, called Worldly Wise Man who's been a supposed Christian for many years before him. And worldly wise men says something like this to him. He says, don't, don't listen to evangelist's advice. Don't listen to his advice because, because I kind of know better what, what he's telling you to do. You're going to face weariness, pain, peril, even death. Christian says to him, no matter what, what I'm going to face, none of these things are worse than the burden on my back. I just need to get rid of this. So eventually he reaches after more obstacles. He tries to find his own way to get rid of the burden. He tries different ways based on different people's advice because that's what people do in this world. They know the heaviness of their sin, but they try and find different ways to do this, maybe good works, maybe some kind of confessional meeting, whatever whatever they try and do, and they try and get rid of the burdens on their back. Then Christian was trying to do this only to find the burden got worse. Until eventually he reached the wicket gate and the story goes like this. It says this, Christian, bearing his burden with great difficulty, he ran along the narrow highway bordered by the wall called Salvation. He ran and he reached the cross standing on a small hill and below it was a tomb. And just as he reached the cross, Christian's burden fell from his shoulders and it tumbled down into the tomb and out of sight. And he leapt for joy and went on singing of his salvation. And it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of a man who, or a woman who is carrying this burden. They try all these things to get rid of it because they know the guilt and the shame just can't for some way be washed away. And then they reach the place when they realize that the only thing that can do this is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and they believe in it. And the burden is rolled away. Tell me someone doesn't sing for joy because of that. You see, Christ endured it. Christ endured it. For your sake and for mine. 
Now the Christian carries it. Yeah? Isn't it interesting? Christ endured it, but the Christian carries it. Now that you have believed, the call of the Lord Jesus Christ is to carry what this thing is called the cross. Now there's been a lot of misunderstandings about this because typically when people say, I've got to carry my cross, they're referring often to some kind of problem in their life. They say, I've got to carry my cross, you know, my partner's like this, my children are like that. And they've got to... That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's not talking about some problem that you somehow have inflicted with that you may never, have to, may never be able to get rid of. He's talking about something It's quite the opposite. He's talking about something that is quite life-changing, transforming. It's the very thing that's going to take you from what you don't want to be to what you have to be. It's the transformation of the cross. But it comes at a cost. It comes at the end of yourself, where you give up and relinquish every control about who you want to be in life for the sake of Christ. Do you understand? And so Jesus put it like this. Mark 8, it says this, And when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, so he gathered all the people around him. This is Jesus being very real and authentic with the people. He wanted them to know right from the start what it was going to require of them. And he calls the people and the disciples to himself, and he says to them, Whoever, whoever desires to come after me or follow me or make themselves a follower or a disciple of me, he says, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now you've got to remember, the people of that day would have thought, my goodness, what's he asking from me? What's he he expecting from me? Because they would have known and they would have seen the roads of of, uh, Jerusalem um, uh, uh, filled with crosses of people just dying on them. But what Jesus was talking about, something more than something physical, what he was talking about was this. You need to carry that cross that requires you to come to the end of yourself. We call it a death to self in order for Christ to live and reign in us. This is the mark. Listen, this is the genuine mark of the Christian. This is where Christians get it wrong. This is where churches get filled with hypocritical religious goers. And God forbid that we would ever become a place like that. But what Jesus is saying is, I want to give you something that's going to change your life forever. You want to follow me, you need to take up your cross and follow me. If anyone wants to be my disciple, let him do this. Let him, let him or her do this. Let him deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So the Apostle Paul was one of those people. He was one of those people who understood that to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, he needed to take up his cross. He needed to be in a place where the things of this world that contradicted God were dead to him. Do you get that? In order for the things of Christ to be alive in him. Because you can try and do things your way and find yourself always getting to a place where you're hitting a brick wall. Because at the end of the day, it's your way. You try and restore things, heal things, fix things, relationships, um, other things in your life. You're trying to pursue things. At the end of the day, you will find many brick walls you'll hit until you come to a place at the end of yourself and say, Lord, I've tried my way and now I've got to do it your way. And that's called a denying of self, surrendering over to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is carrying the cross. And it is life-changing. If only you would relinquish control. If only you would just let it go. Stop holding on to the things that you think is precious. 
and let Jesus live and reign in you. The Apostle Paul understood this and he used words like this. He says, God forbid, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Do you hear his language? He goes, I'll tell you what I'm going to boast about. I'll tell you what I'm going to tell everyone about. I'm going to tell everyone about the fact that the world is crucified to me and I am crucified to the world because it does nothing for me. It doesn't give me what my heart really needs. It doesn't give me what my marriage really needs. It doesn't give me what my life really needs. What really gives me what I need is the cross. And God forbid that I should boast in anything else but that. Because the world is crucified to me and I'm crucified to the world. Is that your experience? Christian, is that your experience? Do you carry the cross daily? Because Christ endured it, now Christians must carry it. Do you understand? And so the Apostle Paul, in trying to explain this to, his, uh, to the people, used, an, used it in another way. He talks about it like this in Galatians 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Wow. Now he almost takes it to another level. He says, you know what Jesus happened, to, happened to Jesus on the cross? That's my experience. He says, I've been crucified now with Christ. And until we take this seriously, we, we don't really experience the power. What we experience is a form of godliness. You know, we, we, People say things that we don't like and all of a sudden we retaliate and react in a way that's not really reflective of Jesus. And we think, why are we doing this for? Because you haven't been crucified with Christ. Do you get that? You're still trying to hold on to your rights. You're, so, you're trying to hold on to the way they offended you. And Paul says, you know what, I've learnt that I've been crucified with Christ. And he says, it's no longer I who live, in the, same, in the same verse, no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And now the life which I, sorry, and now the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, or the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That was his life. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the wood of life. That sounds like, to me, the victorious cross that the early church made reference to or the early Christians made reference to. So Christ endured it. The Christian carries it. You have no option. He, must, he had to endure it. We must carry it. But for some reason, I find sometimes the third one gets missed. The church remembers it. And for, for some reason, for some strange reason, over the years I've been a Christian, I find that in churches somehow, that one kind of gets neglected. The church rem- must remember it. Because again, it's not an option. Jesus gave us very, two very clear um, ordinances, if you like, to be baptised and to remember him through the breaking of bread. Isn't that true? And I think, you know, I want, to, I want to be authentic in my life. I want to be authentic in my Christian walk. And so to remember it is just as important as every other command that he's given us. And if I can, if I can get, get you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Yes, you get to open your Bibles this morning. There you go. First Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, I want to just end with this. How the Christians must... Sorry, the church must remember the cross. 
now, fortunately for us as a fellowship, over the, over the months of COVID, we were, uh, un- well, sorry, unfortunately, we were, had to help hold back from breaking bread together um, because of all the obvious reasons. And so this morning was an absolute privilege to come together again at 10 o'clock and to break bread. And we'll do that weekly. We'll do that weekly from now on. But the question arises, is that something, because the church is doing, I just jump to it now? Well, not, no, not necessarily. Though it's available for all, all may not participate. And I want you to reflect on why or why not. Do you or do you not come? And so this is the church. Let me, let me be really clear. It is the expectation of the Christian to break bread. Do you get that? There's no like um, for some yes and for some no. It's the expectation of the Christian to break bread. However, there are certain things that we need to reflect and remember in this process. The early church, when we talk about people, again, like the the cross, the the churches have called it all sorts of things. They call it the Lord's Supper. They call it communion. You know, I I don't really mind what we call it. It doesn't really bother me what we call it. But I know that in the early church, there were a lot of references in the Bible to the breaking of bread. That's kind of of how they understood it. It The reference was the breaking of bread. And you you can understand why. Because Jesus did it in his day. Jesus did it with his disciples. And so uh, to give you an example, in Matthew um, 26, it says this. And as they were eating, this is Jesus. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. Remember, they're having a meal. And at some point during that meal, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it. And gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he goes on and he talks about it. But also then later on in Acts, when the disciples were doing the same thing, the Bible says this in Acts 20, now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, get that? There was this reference of breaking bread again. They got together on the first day of the week and they broke bread. And this was their practice. They go house to house, they break bread. They have a meal, they break bread. They gather for a feast and they break bread. Because what they were doing all the time, as they gathered together as Christians, a couple of things most likely were going through their mind. They were trying to think about, they were reflecting and remembering in obedience to Christ just what he did for them. And they wanted to be um, uh, obedient to that. Because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So they would have understood if the Lord Jesus Christ, the saviour of the world who came, who came to save them from sin, and here they were having a meal together, remembering that they've been saved from their sin, they've been given life. All of a sudden Jesus said, now when you come to eat a meal together, I want you at some point in that meal to break bread and remember what I did for you. And so they were faithful to that. They did that. And they did it all the time. They didn't wait necessarily for a Sunday to do it. They did it all the time. They, they, broke, they broke bread. But there was a church in Corinth that kind of got it a bit wrong. So I want to read this and I want to correct a couple of things and then encourage us to, to do that third one. The church remembers it. So first let's look at how, um, how they had some problems with what, the, what, the, what they were doing from verse 20. Verse 20. 1 Corinthians, it says this, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Well, that's interesting because that's what they thought they were doing. For in eating, one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and the other is drunk. What? 
Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because what he's saying to them is this. He's saying to them, you know what? Because you've got to remember what they were having here, what, they, what people call love feasts. Yeah? It's, there's a reference to Jude about it. People call it love. So they would gather together and they would have a meal together. At some point during the meal, they'd break bread. Okay? But what was happening here, you get people that were like eating and drinking, eating and drinking. Then, then, then others would come and be like nothing left which is completely against the spirit of Christ. That this greed that drove them to eat and drink before their brothers and sisters came, came and joined them. It's like, I'm going to have as much as I can before so-and-so comes. Maybe they thought, oh, because he eats so much, I'm going to eat as much as I can now. I don't know what they were thinking. But here they were, this act of greed that were working, and they were complete lack of generosity and complete utter selfishness. And Paul's saying, that's not the Lord's Supper. It's completely in opposite to how Jesus would have been because he would have forgone his food for the sake of others. And here they were doing these things and having a lot of problems and, and, and one was drinking too much and one was eating too much and one was going hungry. He goes, haven't you got your own houses to do that in? Go, go get filled in your own houses and then come and have a meal together and break bread. So he was addressing a real problem. Now, we know that's a specific problem of greed. Yeah? But we know when we look at this, generally speaking, we don't look at just that as the problem. We look at anything that we come to the Lord's table to break bread. We look at anything that we are participating in that is sinful and sin that we want to hold on to. And God warns us about that. That if you're one who's carrying the cross, this very thing that's meant to change your life and transform your life, and that is genuinely, authentically your experience, that when you come to break bread, you're not going to hold on to sin and be resistant to let go of anything. Do you get that? And for this purpose, you can come and break bread because your life is authentic. Your life is walking. It's, it's working. It's not perfected, but it's working towards something. It's not holding on like... Oh, you know, I'm going to come and break bread. And the person next to me, oh, such a loser. Oh, I can't believe he did this to me. I'll never forgive him. What? You don't break bread like that. Or you come and break bread and you've got this really bad thought about someone. You think, you know, I don't care what they do. I'm never going, oh, this is how I think. And you're not prepared to let go and forgive them. You can't break bread like that. Or, you know, you're participating in some sin out in the community or in your workplace and you think, you know what, that's just part of my life. I can't stop that. You can't break bread. What you are is a person who is consistently and committed to becoming more like Christ. And yes, there are going to be things that you'll struggle with. Yes, there are going to be things that can confront you. Yes, there are going to be temptations and times you fall. And, you, and you're working towards this greater Christ-likeness. And for this purpose, you're coming and you're remembering that Christ died for your sins because this is the power you're experiencing. Do you get that? And for this purpose, you must break bread. You get it? You must. It's not a choice. And what, this is what Paul is saying to the early church. This is what the church is always doing. This is what the church is expected to do. Christ endured it. Christians carry it. The church remembers it. So, in light of that, Paul asks them to examine themselves. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that's all the things I just spoke about, will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, 
And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, the things we spoke about, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Because it's contradictory. You cannot come bound, unwilling to give up your sin and say, hey, I want to remember the death of Christ. The stubborn holding on to things, practicing a life that is not like Christ, unwilling to let go of this, is not the breaking of bread. In fact, the Bible warns that we uh, eat and drink judgment to ourselves. But to you, brothers and sisters, who know the power of the cross who have experienced the forgiveness of sins, who understand the carrying, the life-transforming power of carrying it, and who experience day-to-day changes that the Lord is doing in your life. And though you face things, and though you stumble in things, and though you might trip over and fall into things that you know you shouldn't be doing, and with the intention that God's going to continue to perfect you, yeah, that's the faith. We must, we're called to break this bread. And so for this purpose, Paul, um, Paul encourages them to do this. In verse 23, he says this. He says this in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was portrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the, cup, this is the new covenant in my blood, and this do as, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so there's a lot in that, in that verse, but I'm not going to go into much detail this morning. But basically what Paul's saying to the church, okay, let's sort out what's not good. Let's remember what we need to do because the church must remember it. He says, now we've got it right. Now we've got it sorted out. You understand not only God's great love for you, but the transforming power of the cross in your life and how it's working in your life all the time. He says, now... Let me remind you, this is what Jesus did. He took the bread, he broke it and said, this is my body for you. He took the cup, he gave it to them and said, drink, this is my blood for you. Do this to remember me. Because when something changes your life in such a phenomenal way, in such a life-transforming way, this is greater than the lottery, my friends. When something changes your life in such a phenomenal way, the very least Jesus asks the church to do is to remember him in the breaking of bread. And so what I hope, that as a church, that what we would see is not guilt comers, (laughs) people who think, oh my goodness, no, Barry just preached about that, I better come next Sunday now. But people who come out of love and, and joy for the Lord and fill this place in breaking bread at 10 o'clock. Does that make sense? Not out of guilt, but out of joy for your salvation. 
And the Bible, uh, and what the Bible says here, and when you do this, and as often as we do this as a church, what do we do? We continue to tell the world, we proclaim, we proclaim. That's what you're doing. The Lord's death till he comes. The world says, ah, the cross of Christ, what's that? That's ridiculous, it never happened. And we say, nah, every time we get together and we break bread, we say it happened because it happened to me. So whether you're like Pilgrim this morning, who's got a, um, a burden on your back, and this morning all you need to do is this, you need to look to the cross and consider the one who endured it. That this morning, friends, this morning, I'm telling you and I promise you because of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that this morning, that if you confess your sins, and you believe in what Jesus did on the cross, your, not only will your sins be forgiven, but your burden will roll away. Do you understand? Or, maybe this morning you're considering the cross as the wood of life the victorious cross, because this morning you realize, boy, this idea of carrying my cross, I had a, such a wrong understanding of it, or I've been resistant to it. This morning, today, if you hear his voice, pick up your cross. Let it be your experience. It must be your experience. Or maybe this morning you realize, the church must remember it. I'm the church. I'm the very evidence of the life-transforming power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to remember it. Make sense? I pray that the Lord is gracious upon you, that he makes his face to shine upon you, because these are all good things. These are the things that the Lord has called us to, a place where his presence is, is there. It's the only place we want to be. So we pray for us this morning. Let's, let's, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's remember this morning that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. This morning I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, pray for those this morning who, who perhaps feel like they are weighed down by their burden they're weighed down by uh, their sin, their guilt, their shame, that the first time in their lives maybe they've realized that the Lord, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, which the Lord endured, can remove that burden, can wash that stain away. Yeah. I'm going to pray for you this morning. If that's you this morning, uh, you, can, you can speak to the Lord. You can ask the Lord. You can, the Lord Jesus is present with us, and all he requires of you is an honest confession. I'm not asking you to do that loudly. I'm not even asking you to stand up. I'm not asking you to do anything but to honestly, in your own heart before the Lord, in your own way and in your own words, to honestly confess that what you need is for your sins to be washed away, your burden to be rolled away. And the promise of life, Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will never reject. That's his promise. He said that's his words. That he'll never reject. And this morning, I'm going to give you a moment to... Pray quietly in your own hearts. And I'm going to pray for you.
Father, I want to thank you this morning for your presence and thank you, Lord, for your word. It's got nothing to do with this church. It's got nothing to do with me. It's all about you. And all we want, Lord Jesus, is to lift you up and to glorify you because you are very, um, you're a very present help. You are here, Lord. You're ready to receive all that call upon your name. And anyone who calls upon your name, Lord, you say that they shall be saved. I pray for those who, who may have prayed this morning with honest prayer. I pray that you would uh, comfort them and reassure them that you speak into their lives, that you would remind them and, and uh, help them to see that you have forgiven and washed away their sin. Encourage them, Lord God, in a world that wants to discourage them. Continue to encourage them throughout the weeks and build them up in their faith. Pray, Lord God, as a church that we continue to carry our cross daily. That we relinquish all control and allow Christ to live and reign. Anything that we hold on to that's not of you. We pray, Lord God, take its place. And help us as a church to continue to come together and remember this amazing gift, this amazing grace that you have shown us and you have given us. Continue to bless us, Father. Make your face to shine upon us, Lord. Be gracious to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To thee.